Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Fisheries Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. Fish are amazing creatures with a diversity of colors, shapes, and sizes. They truly are a diverse group of animals, and so are humans. This podcast is more about people than fish, which is also the case in fisheries, believe it or not. Any fisheries manager will tell you it's about working with people. The fish are the easy part. Here we focus on people and on extremely important topics, including the benefits of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the field of fisheries and aquatic sciences. Some topics may be uncomfortable at times, but this will be a safe zone from which everyone can learn. Although this is an initiative led by graduate students and supported by the American Fisheries Society and the Fisheries Podcast, it applies everywhere and to everyone and transcends fisheries. We strive for everyone to feel involved and included, no matter your country of origin, age, ethnicity, gender, religion, sexuality, and or disability. Hosts and guests are sharing their personal views, which they hold as their own. Humans struggle between what is right and wrong. Our personal morals and ethics are shaped by cultural norms and the ones that surround us, including our family, friends, classmates, and colleagues. Our podcast would like to critique your philosophy by challenging some of your personal beliefs regarding right and wrong. We are so glad you chose to listen and open your mind to these very important conversations. Thank you for joining us. Hey everyone, this is Aaron Bunch, one of the co-hosts of the Fisheries Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. Before I get into the subject matter of the day, which is inclusivity, inclusion, however you want to say it, including others, I'd like to mention a couple of items. We are looking to expand our co-host team. If you or anyone you know would be interested in joining as a permanent co-host, as a guest co-host, or if you're uncomfortable talking in front of the masses and you have some editing skills, or if you would like to learn how to edit, please reach out to us at diversitypod at fisheries.org. We would also like to wish you and yours a happy holiday season. Now let's get into the content. The first piece that you're going to hear about, a recent column in Fisheries Magazine that I put together called What Does Inclusion Look Like? And I will be discussing that here in a moment. After that, I will provide audio from a presentation that I gave at the Diversity Symposium at the recent Baltimore meeting. Without further ado, let's get started. Inclusion can happen now in an instant with genuine positive communication directed at someone who has a different identity than you. A person feeling included really comes down to an individual having a sense of belonging and value within a group of people. Over the past year, as hosts of the Fisheries Diversity and Inclusion podcast have interviewed guests, significant themes have emerged in context to inclusion. One such theme is the idea of marginalized people feeling isolated. Multiple podcast guests explain that not seeing people that look like me is a challenge and we feel like we are floating around in isolation and that was from episode two as one podcast guest explained in context to being isolated you just don't know the feeling that comes with that it is a burden and that was from episode five another said being the only person of color in a room is a heavy weight to have it is not something that is easy and that was from episode two For those of us who don't immediately identify with these experiences, let's dissect the idea of isolation for a bit and do a little walk through the imagination. Many of you have never experienced this, as there is a high probability you are part of the majority in a room at any given time. Let's empathize for a bit and imagine putting yourself in someone else's shoes who is not part of the majority. You walk into a room filled with people, 
none of which look like you, speak like you, dress like you. And even if there is absolutely no intention of belittling you with their stares, many are looking because they know you are different. The noticing stop and things go on as they were. But then no one makes an effort to include you in conversation even if you try. No one shows positive nonverbal communication, which cues you to think you aren't welcomed, even if this may not be the case. You find yourself alone in a corner and wonder why you're even there in the first place. When you present your research to the same group, you get bombarded with questions, noticeably more so than others, as if you're being unfairly tested. You feel a lack of respect in general, despite no one saying anything directly demeaning. You find yourself mentally exhausted. You end up asking yourself, why am I putting myself through this? You remember back to grade school when you didn't see many people of color in the sciences, and you originally thought you couldn't do science because no one looked like you. You continually remind yourself that you overcome these issues. Your passion for fisheries resources will continue to motivate you, and you will overcome. Okay, let's come back to your own shoes now. This example comes directly from a compilation of situations discussed by several podcast guests. It is real. People deal with this regularly. It does not have to be this way. I'm willing to bet that you can think of a time where this has happened to a minority individual at a meeting or in your office, or you may have experienced this yourself. However, with some caring and compassionate people called allies, things can turn around quickly. The idea of allyship is to build trust, consistency, and accountability with marginalized people. And there lies in the rub. It takes effort to be an ally. It takes effort to be inclusive. And it takes effort to make others feel welcomed. Sadly, many people don't realize what they're doing, how they are perceived through nonverbal communication, and what others truly feel. And yes, I identify as a straight Caucasian man who used the word feel. People are emotional beings that have feelings no matter how much they want to brush them away or conceal them. Many people can get caught up with being macho and not expressing their own feelings in a positive way or disregarding other people's feelings. Compassion for people seems to get lost in the shuffle. It is time to prioritize being compassionate and empathetic. Become an ally and work towards being inclusive out loud. So what does being inclusive out loud mean? Anyway, if you hear something that sounds odd or demeaning towards an individual or group, speak up and say that it is not okay. As one podcast guest said, an ally can give a sign or cue of disapproval, and it usually stops people in their track. In the introductory sentence, I used an important word when it comes to being inclusive. A person must be perceived as genuine, or there is a risk of unintentionally coming off as fake or ingenuine. That can often do more damage than good. Another source of harm that is critical to being an ally is not questioning the experiences of marginalized community members, but accepting that their experiences are real and actively working towards changing that experience for the better. But also realize, as one guest stated, allies are going to screw up. 
and no one is perfect. So just learn from it and move on. That is where the trust comes into play as an ally. Now switching gears a little bit. As employers take important steps towards building a diverse workforce, it is paramount to also have a strong focus on inclusion. There is inherent value in being inclusive, but ultimately employers should strive to do so as it can increase employee retention rate. It is one thing to recruit and hire a diverse candidate, but another to retain them if the workplace is not inclusive and welcoming. To increase inclusivity and create a welcoming workplace environment, it is as simple as consistent, positive, nonverbal communication while passing someone down the office hallway, out in the field, or at a professional meeting that makes the receiving person feel safe and welcome. But you can do so much more than that to create a space for folks to feel like they are truly part of the team and organization. If you want to be part of the solution, emphasize inclusion principles into your daily routine and set the following goals with people who are not like you. Find commonality through daily chats and do more listening than talking. Become a mentor, whether it's formal or informal. Build meaningful relationships and be willing to be inclusive out loud as an ally. A clear example of being inclusive out loud comes from the Twittersphere, where someone's colleague at a meeting stated, I am uncomfortable with the only woman in the room delegated to note-take. I can take over that task. So imagine like a room of 20 people, one of which is female. They're not the secretary. They don't have a lower job than anybody else at the table. However, they have been asked to take notes. And what does that say in that situation? If you spend some dedicated time to accomplish these goals, you are helping to create a welcoming workplace environment that is creating a sense of belonging for your marginalized colleague, and you are well on your way to building intercultural competence and positive relationship. And we'll get into intercultural confidence, competence, not confidence, but intercultural competence a little bit later in this podcast during a presentation that I gave at recent AFS Diversity and Inclusion Symposium. All right, workplace colleagues aside, as a biologist, manager, or academic, you can practice becoming more inclusive of the underrepresented constituents you serve. This means working and finding ways to communicate with people that are not like you, such as what we discussed in Episode 7. Researching the needs and desires of marginalized communities, see Episodes 7, 8, and 9. And placing attention on all fisheries user groups. So outside of standard krill surveys, have you ever walked over to a minority subsistence fisher and discussed their opinions on the fishery? Their opinions should matter just as much as the vocal angler that shows up at public meetings because they share equal stake in the resource. Do you find yourself or your organization prioritizing fisheries research and management that benefits some user groups over others? If so, think critically of inclusion principles and equality and how they relate to the resources you manage or conduct research on. Meaningfully engage with marginalized fisheries user groups. Learn from Episode 7 and consider the guiding framework of two-eyed seeing, which embraces learning to see from one eye with the strengths of indigenous knowledges and ways of knowing, and from the other eye with strengths of mainstream knowledge.
knowledges and ways of knowing, and to use both of these eyes together for the benefit of all. Now, building bridges and improving relationships with all constituents will aid in building a stronger angling and science community moving forward, which will ultimately help all involved. But don't just take it from me. Hear all the voices shared from all the episodes of the Fisheries Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. Those that are listening to this podcast right now, go back to the many other podcast episodes we have. Primary goal of the podcast is to amplify underrepresented voices and educate people with focus on the fisheries profession. Put yourself in someone else's shoes for a bit. Become an ally and your world just might become a better place. This is Mary Levin Lauren from AFS Headquarters in Bethesda, Maryland. And did you know that AFS has a summer internship program for high school students who are interested in the field of fisheries and aquatic sciences? Our goal of the Hutton Junior Fisheries Biology Program is to recruit students from underrepresented backgrounds in science careers and use this internship to introduce and inspire the students to continue on a path to become a fisheries professional. This paid internship is between seven and eight weeks long and the students receive $3,000. Since the program's inception in 2001, the Hutton Program has placed 717 high school students from the United States, Mexico, and Canada in hands-on, research-based internships with current fisheries professionals. We are always looking for interested mentors to recruit students in our local areas to apply to the program. You are the inspiration for the next generation of fisheries professionals. Now let's hear from some Hutton Program alumni about their time participating in the program. The Hutton Program was a great experience for me. During my internship with the Maryland Department of Natural Resources, I learned many things about the fisheries and environmental field. This program was a hands-on experience because I was able to perform field work in several areas around my state, was exposed to professional environment, and worked with professionals. This is a very rewarding program. Ready to get hooked on the Hutton program? AFS is recruiting fisheries professionals to serve as mentors, whether in freshwater, marine, or aquaculture settings. Donate financially or in kind as a volunteer today. Visit the Hutton website for additional information and to donate and help the future generation of fisheries professionals. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me in this virtual talk. Appreciate the efforts of the symposium organizers. This is perhaps the most important presentation that I've given in my entire career. I'm Aaron Bunch, he, him. I'm going to include podcast commentary from various individuals, Dion Kerr, Jasmine Graham, Amani Weber-Schultz, Jada Elcott, Gerard Green, Ernie Muhammad, and Andrea Reed. This is a compilation of commentary from the Fisheries Diversity and Inclusion podcast, which is supported by the American Fisheries Society. I'd like to acknowledge all the individuals who've made the podcast possible and this presentation possible, too many to name. So let's pause here for a second. I'm a straight white man giving a talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. It took me a little while to come comfortable with hearing this stuff, okay? So if you are in the same identity as me, it's very easy to be defensive with the subject matter. For a moment, take down the shield. You know, if you're listening to this, you've already kind of taken down that shield. Listen with an open heart and mind and show empathy. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. So what we're going to do partly is just disentangle diversity from inclusion and understand the definitions here. So, I mean, many fisheries biologists should be very in tune with what diversity means. It's an important part of our profession in terms of fisheries diversity. There are thousands upon thousands of species of all shapes, sizes, and colors around the world that we study. Okay, so there's heterogeneity in demographic composition of groups. 
It's the same with people. Inclusion is the involvement and the integration of that diversity in people into organizational systems and processes. I think oftentimes, at least for me, when you hear the words diversity and inclusion, I feel like the word inclusion gets overlooked <laughs> because, I, you know, without inclusion or feeling included, I, I just don't think it's hard to make a diverse environment if people aren't going to feel welcome. That was Dion. That was one of the co-hosts of the podcast, and he brings up a very good point. So diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Well, and I've seen many examples where folks are hired. And I mean, there's a lot of conversation about even the role of chief diversity officers on campus and how they're often hired as symbol or a placeholder, but they're not given the credence or the actual decision-making power to drive change within the institution. And so it's not enough, as you said, it's not enough to diversify. You have to have an inclusive environment where people have voice and people have the ability to make decisions and and really effectuate change. Okay, what does inclusion look like? Okay, happy colleagues, smiles, positivity, positive demeanors, colleagues feeling safe, engaged, respected, and valued, a true part of a team, overall respect in the workplace. What does that look like in your organization and for the people that you serve? Happy constituents, smiles, positive demeanors, positivity, constituents feeling safe, engaged, respected, and valued, a true part of your agency's efforts, overall respect for all public. Inclusion looks like for AFS meeting attendees, positivity, attendees feeling safe, engaged with whatever branch of AFS that you're in, respect for all AFS members. Now, all this being said, everything isn't going to be kumbaya all the time. People are going to have negative interactions that likely don't have anything to do with somebody's identity, just with difference of opinions. And that's how science works. Um, I'm not trying to paint this picture where everything has to be uh, rainbows and butterflies all the time, but uh, you have to respect others. So how can we <clears throat> be inclusive? Well, one way is to seek commonality. I always had an affinity uh, for, for nature. Uh, I, spent, I spent a lot of my summers as, as a young boy in the nearby swamp that my neighborhood uh, was surrounded by, just collecting frogs and just different types of you know animals that were in the uh, in the uh, swamp that was near you know near my neighborhood. And, and how can we be inclusive? Well, one way is to become or continue to be an ally. Allyship is defined as a lifelong process of building relationships based on trust, consistency, and accountability with marginalized individuals and or groups of people. As far as allyship, I think it's really important for people to know that allies are going to make mistakes. I think a lot of people don't act as allies because they're afraid of messing up. Allyship is something that you have to do every day. It's not like an innate trait. You have to, in every situation, you choose to be an ally or not to be an ally. And sometimes you're going to step in and it's going to be great and the person's going to be very thankful for you. Sometimes you're actually going to put your foot in the mouth, in your mouth and someone's going to be like, eh, okay, that wasn't helpful. And then you just say, sorry, tell me how to do better next time and I will do better next time. I think that people have like a paralyzing fear of messing up and so they don't act at all. Being an ally can be something as simple as like, oh, someone says something stupid, like, oh, black people don't swim. 
arm or whatever. And you stand there and literally all it takes is you going, uh, what? <laughs> and like, just, you know, pointing out, like not letting it just slide, pointing it out that like, that's not okay. And I have a friend that literally all she does is she goes, eek. Like anytime someone says something problematic, she just goes, eek. <laughs> and then that, that stops them in their tracks. Like, ooh, she just made a disapproving noise. Something I said wasn't okay. Right. How about become or continue to be a mentor? Use motivation, direction, bring in some of your successes uh, to help others through coaching, training and advice. What about mentoring? If you are a mentor who is someone who is known for calling people out, for saying comments that they should not be saying. And if you are someone who is known for going above and beyond with like calling on people of color in class, you know, making sure that they're heard, talking to them, even if they're quiet and don't feel like they can talk to you, that puts you in a position where students of color will feel more comfortable talking to you. Brings up a very good point. All right, how can we be inclusive? Well, simply listening to others, giving people the floor, and just listening. Do more listening than talking. Any of your minority friends, you should always just listen to what they have to say because nine times out of 10, we're not making up our stories that we have to tell about being racially profiled or being oppressed because we're homosexual. Um, so it's the best thing you could do is listen to what they have to say because there's nothing fun about me making that up, about trying to create life problems that none of us want to have. All right, let's help create an environment that facilitates a sense of belonging. It is obviously definitely about empowering women of color and making sure that we feel that we are all welcome in this space because science is a place for everybody and should be seen as a place for everybody. But it's also about making sure that everyone is included in the process so that we can make the most discoveries and find out as much about these animals as we possibly can. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what every scientist loves to do. We, we love to learn. We love to find out about these animals. So if we don't have help from everybody and every group of people, we're not going to learn as much as we can. So that's just something I like to add as well. And Jada, I mean, that is a very good point that she just brought up. All right. So let's talk about mean, being meaningfully engaging with minoritized communities. So uh, meaningfully engaging means that our communities are brought in on projects to help not only inform those projects, but they help to design them, they help to implement, and they help to evaluate, right? So it's important that their participation is involved throughout that whole process. Uh, so we meaningfully engage them so that we educate them, right? So uh, to ed we educate them so that they become the advocates for the change that they want to see, right? Mm -hmm. Our motto as an organization is that we do not want to be doing this work 25 years from now. We should be working ourselves out of the nonprofit business work, right? So that means that we have to set up strategies, uh, 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 you know, processes, programs uh, uh, that empower community, right? Empower the residents to become the solutions to the concerns that they have in, the, in, in their communities. So that means helping with policy at the local level, in the state level, in the regional level, uh, to design strategies that will address communities' core areas, working with local decision makers about the, their impacts of decisions on, on, on communities and how how those uh, a decision process can change to involve more communities in that. 
All right, so let's also talk about the golden rule versus the platinum rule. In a diverse world, the platinum rule replaces the golden rule. We should treat others as they'd like to be treated, not as we'd like to be treated. The golden rule implies that what you want is similar to what I would want and vice versa. And I think, you know, a lot of folks have moved toward the platinum rule, which is that we're going to treat others the way that they want to be treated so that we recognize that there are differences in cultural values and cultural experiences that warrant different approaches or different expectations. All right, so moving forward, let's build intercultural competence and relationships. And what is meant by intercultural competence is just having the knowledge of other cultures around you. Again, as I mentioned before, racism is endemic and it's deeply embedded into every aspect of our lives and we can't ignore it. So to understand how to move forward in terms of fisheries and how not only how do we create more equitable spaces, but also you know work with the, working with the community, it's important to understand all of that context so that you know exactly what you're working against as well as working towards. In terms of building those relationships, a major piece I think is building your intercultural competence. Um, so I worked at, like I said before, I worked at the College of Food, Agricultural, and Natural Resource Sciences at the University of Minnesota. And we would often get requests from people um, in fisheries, wildlife, and other areas to send a list of high achieving black indigenous students of color. You know, there was no desire to actually build a meaningful relationship or address the ways in which organizations may have upheld problematic, oppressive, and minimizing environments. So building intercultural competence allows folks to actually work within communities in ways that are appropriate and authentic to those communities. The recognition that, you know, relation, again, relationship building is important and that if you, if, if you're visible and, and have a relationship with the communities that you work with or that those communities are able to access particular workspaces, you know, that, that makes the world of difference. So that, you know, the first time they're hearing from folks isn't when they want someone to apply to their program or come apply to their organization, but that it's a longstanding relationship. All right, so how does adaptive management as a fishery scientist play into this? In our field, there's a lot of talk of adaptive management in natural resources and how you learn from the past to improve upon things on the future. And then you experiment and you learn and you move on into some positive management for a, for an ecosystem, right? Or, or for, for all systems, human systems, ecosystem, the whole gamut. Yeah. Um, and people could think about it in those terms as well like learn from the past don't dwell on what you've done in the past when you have those conversations with your minority friends or colleagues learn from it and make a little change here and there mm -hmm. until you ultimately followed that adaptive management framework in your own in your own way in terms of how you perceive and act towards other people and slowly but surely things are going to be more positive for others around you mm -hmm. but also it's going to help help improve one's self-awareness all right, so my inclusion challenge to you is these four bullet points. I will listen to persons of color and other underrepresented groups about what it means to be truly inclusive. I will amplify their message. That's exactly what I'm trying to do here. In doing so, I will resist the temptation to react defensively. The folks who do DEI work on campus are there to help and here there to continue advocating for change. And I think that it's important for those who don't do that work and aren't as familiar to recognize, you know, they, they don't have to be the expert. 
You also have to remember you don't have to be the expert. You can do this. I will confront both implicit and overt racism and other forms of discrimination when I see it. And at the same time, I'll, have, I'll be receptive to criticism when it is my own behavior that requires confrontation. I will work daily to establish an inclusive, out loud culture. This means it's not enough to assume we are inclusive. We must talk about it and live it openly each day. And that's what this symposium is all about. Let's hear this again. For those who don't do that work and aren't as familiar to recognize, you know, they, they don't have to be the expert. You don't have to be the expert, but you need to be willing. All right. So what I've put together here is a, a lot has been done with American Fisheries Society in terms of trying to compile a ton of resources and links for diversity, equity, and inclusion in fisheries. You can find this at diversity.fisheries.org. The shared conversation needs to happen with people that share my identity. It's really important that that burden doesn't always fall on indigenous peoples or people of color to be the ones navigating that space. It really needs to be a, a shared conversation. Well, if you've stuck with me for this long, you have learned several things or at least been reminded. Be inclusive out loud. Become an ally. Think about others around you as well as how you would feel if you were in other people's shoes. Thank you very much for listening and have a great day. Special thanks to the Fisheries Podcast for hosting us on their established feed at fisheriespodcast.podbean.com and for also tackling important diversity and inclusion topics in their normal feed. Also, find us and other diversity and inclusion resources on diversity.fisheries.org. The custom lo-fi music beat was crafted by Darius Armstrong. Look for his music name, Carl Marx, on www.bandcamp.com slash releases. We are very grateful to all those AFS leaders and members who have provided support and feedback as we have brought this podcast to life.